0: Oh shit, now Top Bananas 59.
1: Weird about that. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Weird Think About That, where me and my fellow players are given a subject matter and have to find the weirdest, funniest, most interesting, or coolest stories on that subject. Our stories will be scored by a head judge, and the winner will be revealed at the end of the episode. I'm Chris. And just after rolling 155 craps roll, Joe. G'day. And surviving his third atomic blast this evening, Chucky. Yo. And of course, we have our head judge, Joe. Hello. Joe, if you'd like to give us today's subject and how it will be scored, please.
2: Uh, today's subject is competitions and will be marked on the hawk. <laughs> Humour. Accuracy, well-researched, and karate. (laughs) (laughs) If your story features karate, bonus points. Shit. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Go on then, Chucky. All right. So when you think
0: about strange, weird and wonderful competitions, you may remember hearing about things like boxing chess, which is exactly what it sounds like, or maybe even the the Gloucester cheese rolling competitions in which competitors chase a 9 pounds round of double Gloucester down a hill. But I think even staying within the realms of convention can sometimes unveil some obscure and incredible stories. This is exactly why I've decided to tell you all a story about the Olympics. Don't worry, it's not about horses. So, prancation was introduced as a sport during the 33rd Olympic Games and was basically what we call MMA today. Athletes would use a combination of boxing and wrestling techniques, as well as holds, locks and chokes. Though slightly different to MMA, weapons were sometimes used. <laughs> prankation gave rise to many famous champions of the sport who are still remembered to this day, including Dioxapus. He was so feared for his prankation skills that in 336 BC he would win a victory by default as no one would dare enter the ring to face him. For me, however, the title of weirdest prankation competitor doesn't belong to Dioxpus. although he's obviously a strong contender. This is because some 200 years earlier, in 568 BC, another skilled athlete by the name of Erician would claim this title. At least in my eyes. Arikian was no stranger to the sport, having been victorious at the previous Olympics in 572 BC. He would be competing as a strong favourite, and rightfully so, as he made it to the final match of the event. During this final match, Arikian would be caught in a leg lock around his torso, whilst also being choked around his neck. Arikian had two choices he could make at this point. He could yield and experience loss at the greatest sporting event of all time, or he could dig deep and give it everything he had to deliver one last decisive blow. Erician went for the latter and unleashed a devastating attack to his opponent's ankle, instantly dislocating it and freeing him from his opponent's death grip. His opponent was in immeasurable pain and submitted instantly. The judges awarded the win to Erician, who at this point was slumped over. Turned out he had died. This didn't stop the judges declaring him the winner though, And Erician, to this day, is the only competitor to ever win an event posthumously.
1: Gentlemen, your rebuttals... They sometimes used a weapon. I'd always use a weapon. You'd I don't think it was like you that. got to
2: show up and you were like, "Do you want to fight barehanded <laughs> with
1: a <that> like <laughs> <crate?" laughs> so,
3: Oh, I
2: forgot my sword
3: again. How did it work? <laughs> did they like hide them around the ring and you had to like go in a? You had to like, well, solve a series of clues. Yeah, I've
2: got while well, well, being yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, i got a feeling like during the Olympics he probably didn't use weapons. But there's a story um, with Diokosaurus, the other guy where he... Dioctopus. Well, octopus uh, it, was it was two f- octopuses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was clear. No, um, he, he had a... He was at a, a party with, um, I think, Alexander the Great, and he was with some Macedonians, and they were really pissed off because he was, like, incredibly famous as an Athenian who was, like amazing at prankation and so over a couple of beers you know how things happen people say shit yeah. you know, i was like i can have you oh my dad will have you so anyway <laughs> they ended up arranging, uh, arranging a fight and like alexander the great didn't want it to happen but it did and so the macedonian guy comes out wearing full body armor he's got a spear a javelin a side sword and <laughs> the octopus comes out butt naked with... Um, <laughs> it's a <massive> uh, <laughs> <laughs> This is how I need to meet you, laddie. No, he comes out with a, a club, not his penis, and uh, a cloth. And so um, the guy throws a javelin at him, which he dodges, and as he goes to get his spear, he ends up smashing it with the club, getting him in the headlock, and he's about to kill him by stamping on his neck before Alexander the Great stopped him. Fucking so, oh,
1: hell. I think I've, I've read in. So um, I think one of the the richest sports star in history, like accounting for inflation as well, was like some Roman charioteer Chariot racers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was like a multi-billionaire, wasn't well, he? A multi-billionaire just from sports. And like even now you've got the likes of, you know, your Conor McGregor's and Floyd Mayweather's and that. But even he was like uh, he, yeah, he, raking it in compared to them. Yeah. Um, well, he, they had fan clubs, didn't they? They, they, they had colours and people would
2: wear the strip of right uh, whoever it was. They would dye their clothes. Not purple, because that was dead expensive. But yeah, and they would... It was early sort of um, merch, yeah. essentially. Yeah, you would like, yeah, come yeah. get your ox nipples and your...
1: Your Jordan air tunics. Snapping the ankle. Uh, was, right. That stuff always goes through me. Yeah. yeah, we were... It's, this story has been sort of read out on, an, on another podcast that we'll, we'll come to, but um, i will just tell the shortened version of it. A guy at work about 10 years ago fell and snapped his ankle, and he was brought into the office, and we were like shit you okay let's settle him down you're all right we've called the ambulance it's on this way and then this guy from outside called alex comes in and um alex is it's pretty big he's about six two six three maybe 18 to 20 stone and he comes in and he's like hey what's going on everyone everyone all right and we're like, yeah we're fine but um john's just snapped his ankle and he turns to look at john and looks down at his weird shaped ankle and he just turns white and just full-on faints but he doesn't he just faints straight forwards and headbutts John in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and it breaks his nose, pretty much on impact. Blood streaming down his face. By the time the paramedics get there, he, they walk in and say, like, what's wrong? And it's like, my nose. <laughs> his, his, his ankle is like hanging off. He's like, my nose is broken. <laughs>
3: so how was your day
1: at work? Yeah. He left shortly afterwards. <laughs> <yeah. That's laughs>
3: surprise. Ciao. One of the most gruelling endurance competitions in the world is the Barclay Marathons, a 60-hour endurance race which takes, an- which takes place annually in Frozen Head State Park in Tennessee. The race was conceived in the 1980s after Gary Lazarus Lake Cantrell heard about James Earl Ray's, the man who assassinated Martin Luther King's, escape from a nearby penitentiary. He evaded authorities for 55 hours, only to be picked up just 8 miles from the prison. Mocking Ray's effort, Laz stated that he would be able to run 100 miles during this time, and hence the race was bombed. It was worth noting that one of the reasons the prison was built there where it was is in part due to the incredibly tough and inhospitable terrain in the local area. Steep descents and climbs, thick forests, brambles and remoteness all make traversing this part of Tennessee extremely difficult. Entrant numbers are limited to 40 runners and the full requirements to apply for the race are a closely guided secret. Some of the requirements include writing an essay entitled, Why I should be allowed to run the Barkley and first time runners must come to the race with a license plate from their home state or country. Successful applicants get a letter of condolence confirming their place. The race can start at any time between midnight and noon on the start day. A conch shell is blown one hour before the start (laughs) time, and the race starts with Laz lighting a cigarette. The race itself is composed of five laps of frozen Head State Park, with the course becoming slightly longer and more difficult every year so one successfully completes the course. There are often years when no one wins the race, and so the course remains unchanged. For anyone wishing to complete the course, they will have to climb approximately 60,000 feet of elevation, the equivalent of climbing Everest from sea level twice, and cover a distance of approximately 125 miles within the 60 hour cutoff limit. During the race, competitors are tasked with retrieving pages from specific books from numerous positions throughout the course, often hidden in inconspicuous places deep in the woods, and are often required to be found in the dark. The aid station is a water stop, roughly halfway around the route. Participants are required to carry all their own supplies and equipment required for each loop. There are no safety marshals on the course. Anyone who drops out of the race must then make their own way back to the
1: base camp.
2: Gentlemen, your rebuttals. I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: I'd, I'd really interested to see how long this will continue to be made harder. Um, so, so it gets harder every time someone completes it, they do something else. Yeah, on, so... On, because like if you look at sort of human feats of athleticism, you compare like the 1900s Olympics to the modern ones and, you know, the the fastest man and everything has, has grown so much since in just that 100 years. And I wonder how much sort of human sort of what we would say is peak performance is going to keep growing until eventually it will become impossible for a human to complete that course. Yeah. Um, I've watched,
3: I'm a a geek about this topic. I got into ultra marathons about four years ago and did a Mm. couple of 50 K's and then watched a load of videos and stuff. And this is like the pinnacle of endurance feats. Um, basically they get to the point now where if you're lucky, you can sleep for maybe one or two hours during the race over the 60 hours, but maybe 10 or 15, 20 years ago, people would try and sleep for a couple of hours between each loop and could cumulatively build up a better sleep. But every time somebody completes the course. The guy just adds a little bit, or mm-hmm. um, adds a little bit of extra course, or a little bit of air elevation, and it Multiball. just becomes yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just, just becomes releases a little a bear bit bear yeah, <laughs> it just becomes a little bit harder. These it's actually if you Google the Barkley Marathons, there's some really really good. There's there was a there was a documentary on Netflix called The Barclay Marathons, where green where no the Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young and there is also a one hour and 20 minute documentary on netflix called uh where dreams go to die and there's a guy who i a big fan of the guy he's a guy called gary robbins who's an ultra marathon runner and he competed and he was about 58 hours into the race he'd done four and three quarter laps and he just made a wrong reading on his compass and he went left when he should have went right and he missed the cutoff by six seconds because oh, of a result of it. Mate. And um, yeah, so it is a it is a. Re- I mean, you watch that documentary and your heart breaks for the guy because he they go through these guys go through hell on earth and they're basically like every single winner they it starts and finishes at a gate and you see these people and nobody you know when you see you see people win marathons and you're like they get the you know they get the runners high at the end of it or you know I did. I did, a, I did an ultramarathon back in 2017. I ran 31 miles of the Leeds-Liverpool canal. And, you know, I was like, oh, my legs hurt and blah, blah, blah. And you see the finish line, and you're like, hooray, I've finished. And you, and you sort of trot over it and you're like, oh, I'm all happy. And, and all of a sudden you get that boost. None of those people have that. After running in, in Tennessee <laughs> no. for sixty hours, they they curl up into a ball and they they. I'm like, I hope they live. Yeah. They just wrap them horrendous. in
2: that special space tin foil. <laughs> yeah. That,
0: yeah. That'll save them. Oh, I'm, I mean, I, I'm confused though. So you said an hour before it starts, they blow a conch, which by itself <laughs> is fucking amazing. <laughs> not enough conch work conference. nowadays, yeah. is there? <laughs> this is like a ceremonial conch. But then the other thing you said was they start with him lighting a cigarette. Yeah. Like, so I, I imagine like 100 people just watching this guy. Like, is, is, it, is it lit?
3: No, so they have a countdown. So what happens is, is like, so it's, all, it's a little bit of psychological warfare. So you know the race is going to start between midnight and midday on the day. So you've, so so you're, so you're, you've been preparing midnight. for this race for weeks and weeks and weeks. Oh, well in a lot of cases so you're good years. at
0: telling if a cigarette has
3: been lit well no <laughs> what I mean is like you, what you doing is, is?
2: Where do you think this man is? He's not in a tower no, overseeing so, the entire so, thing. The beacon is So the night before it. the race, <laughs> Gondor sends <laughs> He does
3: it deliberately because you, the night before the race you're not going to sleep well because you're like mm, you don't know when it's going to start and when it. The does conch start, could be
2: honked at any time. You, yeah, and the conch is like yeah.
3: You conch, <laughs> conch is is like one hour. Shit,
0: was was that a conch? No, 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 no. That, no, that, no
2: nice. The sad thing is though, because he's lighting a cigarette at the line to think it. It would've been better if it was just like. Brr, it's like a trombone yeah.
3: <laughs> well every single person that fails um, they have a guy they have a guy who plays who plays taps so once you, once you turn out I mean and so obviously what happens is the majority of people do either one or two laps and they're like this is fucking horrible I'm not doing anymore and so they play taps for them but then occasionally you just get random people just trotting back to the base camp and then they just you know they're, they're defeated they've been out there for 30 hours they're delusional they're fucking hungry some people are you know seeing you know seeing stuff and then a guy just comes up and like oh by the way before you can go and do stuff we're just gonna berate you with this <laughs> burm, burm. and they just play the, the trombone at you not Whoa. the trombone the the, the tuba tuba whatever it is like a, it's, it's like, like a, the curly french horn yeah. it's I can't a what it's uh, called. sousaphone
2: it's a marching tuba I Thank believe. You. Okay. which are often stolen from high school marching bands now for uh, like weird Mexican street mariachi bands. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I was I was reading about it, and I was like, there's a shortage of sousaphones <laughs> an in an American schools.
1: It is. It's, it's an epidemic. Uh,
2: <laughs> Chris, this is going to have to be good because they've both come in bald-sprung.
1: <laughs> okay, well, let me tell you a story so heart-wrenching it makes Shakespeare's tragedies look like Winnie the Pooh. Now, some listeners, especially American ones, may be familiar with the name Howard Stern. For those of you who are unfamiliar with him, Howard Stern is a radio host and TV personality best known for creatively, for the creatively named radio show The Howard Stern Show. Howard Stern is, a well, is well known for his controversial, explicit and sometimes X-rated broadcasts, and in one such broadcast in 2013 he hosted a very interesting radio competition called Get My Grandpa Laid. The competition was a tie-in with the film released around the same time called Bad Grandpa and the grand prize of the contest was a, freeze, was a threesome with two high-end sex workers at Nevada's infamous brothel The Bunny Ranch. An 86-year-old man by the name of Johnny Orris won the competition and his 49-year-old grandson Ed whisked him off to the Bunny Ranch to view his prize. The lucky grandpa met with his two ladies of the evening beforehand and told them that he was going out for something to eat before they got started. He said to them, I'm going to be back here at 9 o'clock, you better be ready, before heading out to dinner with his grandson Ed at the Lake Tahoe Steak Restaurant. In Ed's own words, the guy was so full of life, he was on cloud nine and anxious to get back to the Bunny Ranch. We can assume it was due to this angst to get back to the ranch that made him eat his dinner a little more quickly than usual and just a few bites into his prime rib steak he started choking his grandson ed performed the Heimlich maneuver, but with no luck and cpr was performed on him on the way to the hospital but sadly when he arrived at the hospital he was pronounced dead to help console his loss the threesome pass was given to his grandson ed who used the pass that very same night oh. Oh, <laughs> no.
3: Gentlemen,
2: <laughs> oh
3: man, grief works in
0: mysterious ways, <laughs> doesn't it? God, you talk about working through some emotional pain. <laughs> yeah. God, damn.
2: I'm doing this for grandpa, <laughs> <laughs> he would have wanted this.
0: <laughs> God, they, they often say, you know, like, what is it, sex workers are uh, like one part sex worker and other part, like, uh, therapist. therapist, therapist yeah. Yeah. Jesus, wept though,
2: Christ. <laughs> I mean, it they kind of got it off would,
1: light because they it would dodged the having from... sex with an 86-year-old man and got the consolation prize with a 49-year-old man instead, but it's slightly better. I mean, that's it? like... To quote Partridge, though, it would keep
3: the wolf from the door, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah.
2: It, was, there, was there a time limit on the voucher? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, it has to be redeemed the same day.
1: Fuck it. It's I can only
3: was, well, we all know it. What he, it, is, it is definitely what he would have wanted. So <laughs> I can
1: only assume they didn't live in Nevada and it was like a few hours drive home. So we thought, you know what? While well, I'm here, let's just get it done. Well, I think is, so. yeah, I mean, he's, the kind <laughs> of start, man he's, he's not back. Just... He's the kind
3: of man who will drive his granddad in the to the middle of fucking nowhere as a shag some prostitute. So he's a man of questionable moral. Eth- <laughs> uh, um, like, questionable moral I don't know, backbone. Maybe his anyway. was sad. Well, yeah, well, well, I'm not, you know, I'm sure that he no, was complicit in this. Dead dead <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> also, like, he's 86. Why is he eating steak? Like, it should be blended up for him. He yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't rip that with his dentures. Oh, Some
0: blue pills in oh, it, just like, Can
2: you imagine, like, being those two um, sex workers and being like, okay, like, what have we got on today? oh yeah that guy with the trousers pulled up to he's right. coming in yeah right. animated corpse yeah. yeah oh we've got to do
3: the that meat sweats man
2: yeah, yeah. and also like he didn't even go like I'm going out to eat and then I'll come back and eat. he didn't even do like a
1: good line or anything you better be ready there again he was 86 I imagine was, that yeah. didn't exist when he was a youth
2: <laughs> it was more just brace yourself Mildred yeah. <laughs>
1: oh Oh, I don't like that story at all. <laughs> and none of you had karate in any of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Heimwick manoeuvre it's about as close as it gets.
2: <clears throat> That's what killed him. <laughs> that was the son's plan out the ground. Yeah, he, he, he was, was fine, a, he, was I gonna, he was gonna use it. Even know, the, like the
1: prostitutes had something to do with it and they yeah, they were not doing this off him. Or the grandson wanted
0: they just rang ahead to the steak place. Yeah, he's coming in. Make sure he gets you know one of the chokeable steaks.
1: On <laughs> <laughs> not note, can we have our scores, please? You're not winning. <laughs> <laughs> no, you made me think about old
2: man sex. Now, that's, that's not good. Uh, based on... What is it this week? Hawk! <laughs> Hawk. Um, Humour, accuracy, and well-researched. It's going to be a tie uh, between Charles and Chucky. You know what I like and what I don't like, and I don't like old man sex. Yeah,
3: that was been explicit. It's been explicit to you many times, Chris.
2: I've got, what t shirt am I wearing now? I do not like old man sex, he
1: says. In that dead heart. Now available on the website uh, Joe's t shirt. You can follow us on Twitter, and uh, that's at WeirdThingPod. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next episode. Weird thing about that.